0: Hello, everybody. It's great to have you locked into moving up the ladder here on LocalJobNetwork.com Radio. Now, as always, on Moving Up the Ladder, we're here to add knowledge and insight into the success of your career or business, really in a variety of ways. Now, I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today we're taking a slightly different approach as we're going to examine and analyze a number of quotes that came out of the 43rd annual World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Now each year, politicians, business leaders, visionaries, they all sort of join forces to discuss a wide array of worldly topics. Of course, we're focused on ones that can apply to business and employment specifically. So joining me from California to help break it all down is Ron Baker, founder of the Verisage Institute, and really a well-respected thought leader, speaker, and consultant in a number of these areas. So Ron, a pleasure having you on with us again.
1: Thank you, Tim. Glad to be back. Uh,
0: you know, the impetus behind this a little bit was you, you hear these quotes, and it might not just be at this, um, you know, annual meeting, but you hear quotes, you hear business leaders sort of tell you things or give their advice, and that's terrific, but sometimes you don't really know what it means or how, what to take from that. So I wanted to pick your brain and, and sort of get your take on these, and whether you agree or disagree or just have a, an opinion on it, um, I know you'll be honest and forthright with us. That's what we're looking for. So really the, the first thing, Subject matter there was, and they sort of grouped these into pretty hot topics in these that leadership and innovation. You hear that those terms all the time, especially nowadays. And the first quote that I was gonna bring up to you is from Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce.com, and he was quoted as saying, "You need to have a beginner's mind to create bold innovation." And I guess when you hear that, what's what's your take from that, Ron? I,
1: I really agree with that. I think you you know approaching things like with a childlike uh, sense of wonder is great approaching with questions rather than answers. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of business people, especially professionals and others, uh, think they have to have the answers to everything. And one of the things I've learned from reading Peter Drucker, uh, probably the premier management consultant of all time, was when he approached a consulting job, he led with his ignorance, hmm. not his knowledge. Sure. He led by asking questions. He asked Jack Welch that famous question in, the, in I think, a swimming pool. You know, if, if you're not number one or number two, uh, if you're not the leader in your sector, what are you going to do about it? And that's how Welch decided if we're not number one or two, we're going we're to exit from that sector. And that was from a question, not an answer that Drucker gave, but a question. So I think the questions, uh, have, have the profound truth and, and that's kind of how I view this, um, you know, have a beginner's mind and beginners ask questions.
0: I, I like the idea of asking questions. I get in trouble a little bit, both uh, with my wife and with my uh, manager here for asking, you know, those 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 kind of questions that maybe they don't want to hear sometimes. But So <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a compliment now. Another name that I'm sure a lot of people recognize was uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of uh, Amazon.com. I'm sure a lot of people have seen and heard him before. And um, what what he said that stood out was that you know, if you double the number of experiments you do per year, You're going to double your inventiveness. And while in the service that may seem pretty simple, but, I mean, how would you analyze that if you're looking at it from a business side of things?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that leads me to think about is what we talked about on our last interview, what if you're doubling the number of experimentations, you're not being very efficient.
0: Sure, right. (laughs) You
1: are, however, being highly (laughs) effective and coming up with with new innovations. And, and yeah, absolutely. The more things you try, uh, a high failure rate, But you're probably going to have a few home runs out of that. I think this is the logic behind Google's 20% time Mm -hmm. and Gore Texas and 3M's, things like that. Uh, yeah, there's lots of failure, but uh, one or two successes like post-it notes can make a big difference.
0: Yeah, and, and for anyone who's interested in, in hearing about that conversation of uh, you know, efficiency versus effectiveness, I definitely encourage you. Uh, Ron and I had a great conversation about that. Just go to localjobnetwork.com and uh, find the radio tab. You can search for that. It's uh, stop worrying about efficiency is what it comes down to. So
1: Because, Tim, I think if you think about the innovation and experimentation and you know, fiddling around with new things and <clears throat> new ways to do things, that's actually the antithesis. Of efficiency. Oh, sure. And, and I think Bezos is, is, is great for allowing his people to do things like that.
0: Now, you, you mentioned the word failure there, so I was going to jump to, uh, you know, this isn't technically a business leader, but um, it's actually from the Queen of Jordan. Um, this, was, this was her quote. She said, I don't lose sleep over failures. I worry about the successes and how they can be replicated. Uh, what do you think she's kind of getting to there?
1: You know, the way I, I've always thought that you should study success because success leaves clues. I mean, none of us have enough time to, to uh, you know, make all the mistakes in the world. <laughs> sure. I certainly learn from your mistakes, learn from others' mistakes, but I rather really learn from other people's successes. Hmm. Uh, this is, again, something I have to give credit to Peter Drucker for teaching me. In his autobiography called Adventures of a Bystander, he wrote that he, he personally learns more from success than failure his whole life. He realized that at a very, very young age, and I've kind of adopted that uh, since reading it, and and there's a lot of wisdom in it. I mean, if you wanted to learn the successful traits of of a good marriage, I mean, you wouldn't probably talk to Liz Taylor. Uh, (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Study success, it it, it leaves clues, but, you know, and and also, like, thinking from an economic perspective, which is certainly the context of of these uh, conferences, you know, what needs to be studied is wealth creation. We don't really need to study poverty. Poverty is the natural condition of man. I mean, we're all born poor, you know, totally uh, at the mercy of somebody else for for our, our very sustenance. So what really needs to be explained is not poverty, but wealth. Because let's face it, if we knew the four or five root causes of poverty, what, what would we do with that knowledge? Go spread more poverty? <laughs> it's the wrong question. The right question is not what causes poverty, but what causes wealth, because wealth is the only antidote to poverty. And so it's kind of the same thing. Study success.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and I think, that's, I think that's a great point. And, and as you sort of you know, mentioned there, the more you think about you know, failure or, or however you want to deem that, you're just kind of kind of have that mindset. And that's obviously not the way you want to go. Now this is an interesting one too, and I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure where he was coming from with it. His, his name is Lee Kun-hee. He's actually the CEO of Samsung, and he said, "Change everything, except your wife and kids." And I'm not sure if that's right, exactly how he right. said it. I just saw. I just saw the quote itself, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, maybe you, maybe you have background knowledge. I'm not sure, but what, what do you think about that?
1: I, I, yeah, I, I was probably as surprised as you were on that because I'm not sure of the context he said that in. Because I was thinking, well, gee, I, I can't change my mother-in-law without <laughs> changing my wife. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but if it, you know, one of the things I thought about, especially since Samsung is considered, you know, a pretty good innovator, and they're they're, I guess, giving Apple a pretty good run for their money at the moment. One of the things that stalled in terms of changing everything is is innovation and in, in management ideas. Okay. Uh, the way that we manage organizations, uh, most of the ideas like scientific management, cost accounting, ROI analysis, you know, divisionalization, all of these things were all coming out of the early 19th century, 19th and 20th, 20th century, I should say, the, the early 1900s. I mean, our management innovation has stalled uh we're we're running with 100 year old ideas in some cases and i think if if anything's open to change everything it's like let's take a look at our our structures And see if there's better ways to run companies rather than the way that we think they've, you know, they should be run.
0: And I think we've had probably a similar conversation before. I mean, you think that is a big concern when you're talking about businesses that that it's just such a slow evolution in a lot of cases when you're talking about, you know, traditional models or however however you want to deem that.
1: Yeah, the ghost of Frederick Taylor lives on. I and mean, look what's <laughs> happening at uh, Best Buy. You know, the, right. they're they scaling back with Roe, Yahoo's calling its people in from the field. I mean, the, you know, this is this is a lack of trust. And but it's it, it even worse. It's the illusion of control um, because it's not really controlling people. You can't really control a knowledge worker or or manage them or certainly not micromanage them. But they, they, there's this idea that well, if they're in the office, at least we'll know what they're doing. Well, you know, they can sit in their office and, and play around too. I, I just read something in the Economist that one half the bandwidth at J.C. Penny was uh, for watching YouTube videos, <laughs> and this is at their headquarters office.
0: Oh, really? And,
1: and yeah, so and, and you know, eBay auctions peak between noon <laughs> and 4 p.m. when supposedly we're all supposed to be working. Uh-huh. So I. I yeah, I just think, you know, this whole illusion of control and micromanagement is just, it needs to go the wayside in the knowledge economy. Sure.
0: And, you know, we actually, we just had Jody Thompson on from Roe. You know, that's, that's a big part of, right. of everything. And, you know, she, she mentioned that same thing as we have this feeling that because we see people at work that we know they're working. And if they're gone, we don't know what they're doing. But really, it, as you brought up, it's all an illusion anyway. So
1: Because, you know, if you look at all of our management ideas, they're, they're really good at controlling inputs. But we're lousy at assessing and judging the output, and that's really at the end of the day what matters. I mean, the wineries around here in, in my backyard have a great saying: "It's easier to count the bottles than it is to describe the wine." Mm-hmm. Well, I can measure your input. I can I can see how long you're you know you're sitting in an uncomfortable chair in your cubicle. <laughs> what I can't what what requires uh, judgment is to assess the quality of your output, mm-hmm. and we're not very good at that. So we default to inputs. We default to the easy measures.
0: Now, those first handful of, of quotes, you, know, you you pretty much agreed with, and we, we did sort of get a little bit, uh, you know, uh, go into more of the idea of change and everything. But um, there are some things that, again, everyone's going to have their own opinion. Just because they are a business leader doesn't mean we should completely just abide by everything they say. So, um, you know, there were a few things that you and I discussed that maybe you didn't agree with so much, and we can sort of touch on those as well. There was Barry Salzberg, CEO of, uh, is it Deloitte? Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah. Okay, Deloitte. Yep. Um and Barry Salzberg said, "People believe they are more innovative than they are, and that gap is leadership in their company." I guess what's what's your thought on that?
1: You know, to learn uh, any type of thing, to to, to learn innovation <laughs> by studying a big four is the equivalent <laughs> of trying to learn physics from the Roadrunner. I mean, <laughs> you know, th- this idea that people are, he thinks are more innovative than they than they really are. That, I mean, people are innovative if they're put in an environment. Where where they're allowed to flourish, and I would certainly say the Big Four, because I am an ex Big Four person, not with Deloitte, but with uh, KPMG. Okay, uh, these are not envir- these are not hot houses of innovation. I mean, their business model is coming up to its hundredth year anniversary. You, you could shuffle all of the Big Four partners around the firm, the Big Four firms, randomly, and mm-hmm. not a thing would change. I mean these guys are you talk about karaoke capitalism they just sit around and copy one another. So I, I don't listen to anything that any partner says from the big 4 in terms of leadership or innovation because I think they're horrific at both.
0: Do you think like with that quote I mean is that is that something where it's almost like a put down or is it is it a way to keep control? I mean what do you what do you take that as like why would in your mind saying that not being a positive
1: what 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 is the point there? yeah i I think he's trying to say that um you know maybe maybe he's trying to say that if there's leadership in your organization, people can be innovative uh i' would love to see the context in which right. this was said right but um but all I know is that either way, innovation at Deloitte is terrible there is none and that and and the gap in leadership at deloitte i would also say is is far and wide between what leaders say they want and what they actually do. And, you know, economists have this great concept of revealed preference. Don't listen to what people say. Watch what they do. Mm. (laughs) Because what they do reveals their real preferences. And if you look at Deloitte, what they do is run on a 100-year-old business model that says we sell time. And they treat their knowledge workers like they were factory workers or even piecemeal workers that have to punch the clock. I mean, there might as well be time clocks uh, at 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 Deloitte (laughs) because everybody has to fill in a timesheet in six-minute increments. Um, and and they're focused on the labor pains and not the baby. (laughs) And not only do they measure the labor (laughs) pains, but they bill for them. They bill their customers for them in six-minute contractions. So... For this guy to talk about leadership and innovation, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, you know, trying to learn about the Holocaust from Hogan's Heroes.
0: So I can mark down that uh, you're not going to be uh, giving a, a quality reference for anyone from Deloitte. That's like I can take from that.
1: <laughs> no, any of the big four, actually. <laughs> okay, okay, I, uh, okay. They, 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 are, they are truly dinosaurs.
0: Now, an interesting, I say interesting because it comes from, you know, a lot of times we talk to people and they, they always reference the Harvard Business School and um, maybe, you know, from the Harvard Business Review and that sort of thing. Uh, and William George, who's a professor at the Harvard Business School, said, leaders who are mindful tend to be more effective in understanding and relating to others and motivating them towards shared goals. Hence, they become more effective in leadership roles. Now, even as I was reading that, I can sort of see you smiling, I think, on the other side of the, uh, the country here. What's your take from, from William George's quote?
1: Actually, smiling and sleeping at the same time. Is that possible? I mean, this is profound. Yeah. Leaders who don't pay attention are less effective than leaders who do pay attention. I, I, this is kind of, wow, this is why we need Harvard. Uh, <laughs> this this illustrates to me, Tim, the banality of, of most leadership scholarship. I mean, leadership scholarship needs to go away. The last thing the world needs is another book on leadership, for hmm. crying out loud. I mean, I think this topic is so overrated uh, I can only think of a few books that are worth reading when it comes to leadership and uh, that, that that wouldn't just, you know, bore the pants off of you. And and one, by the way, which is from a very unusual place, is by Richard Nixon, uh, the former president. He wrote a book called Leaders. Hmm. And I'm not kidding you. It is truly one of the most inspiring books on leaders because, I mean, this gentleman met most of the world's leaders, Winston mm-hmm. Churchill and, you know, all, and he profiles them. And he talks about the characteristics. And I, and I got more out of that book than any other book I've ever read in the business genre on leadership.
0: Uh, one last quote in, the, in, the, uh, in sort of in the, the realm of leadership and innovation comes from Joe Schoendorf. And uh, his, his comment was, the two biggest tidal waves going on in technology today are social and big data. And they are coming together. Your thoughts.
1: No doubt, social media, Facebook, and then all the others, LinkedIn, uh, having a huge impact, changing the way we communicate, work, collaborate, share, and, and all of that. And, and I can see some great search engines coming out of Facebook. You know, I know they're working on something that will be very uh, sophisticated in terms of getting tacit knowledge from your, from your friends and, and all the tacit knowledge that resides in the Facebook uh, arena. Uh, big data, however, I'm not so excited about. Big data scares me because data is not data is not even information. Uh, there's data, and then there's information, and of course there's knowledge. And I think big data without judgment leads to really big errors. And I point to guys like Robert McNamara, who who you know, was one of the Ford whiz kids, but he also ran the Vietnam War under Lyndon Baines Johnson. And this guy was a quant. I mean, all he would do was study numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't bring any judgment. He didn't listen to the Army colonels. He didn't listen to their wisdom. He just looked at the numbers. He thought the truth, you know, numbers don't lie, right? That whole thing. Sure. And he was terrible. He was absolutely terrible, and he mismanaged that war. And he actually wrote a mea culpa in his, in his uh, autobiography before he died about how wrong he was. So big data, I don't think, has... Uh, I don't think it's a silver bullet. I think it can lead to also big problems, and they can spread faster. Well, and you know, Uh, I think this
0: this goes back. Not to cut you off, I think this goes back to when we had the conversation about efficiency and effectiveness, and that idea of you know knowledge being that you're making judgments and you're you're actually you know being able to to make decisions based on that, as opposed to just getting all this this data like you talked about. I mean, is that do you feel that's part of why we're sort of we've gone in that direction of efficiency versus effectiveness?
1: Yes absolutely. I mean, uh, big data, again, can prove, you know, mathematically, everybody in the world on average has one testicle, but it's How do I know you're going <laughs> to go
0: back to that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it's wrong from a human judgment standpoint, and I just think that, you know, the b- numbers can lie. Um, the numbers can actually uh, hide the truth and obfuscate the truth if there's no judgment behind them. So I would hate to think that we're going to rely more and more on big data.
0: For now we do need to take a brief respite here with our guest, Ron Baker, the founder of Verisage Institute and really a well-respected thought leader in these areas. We've gotten plenty of opinion and analysis from Ron already, but we've just scratched the surface here on Moving Up the Ladder, as in part two we'll touch on the so-called rising generation and hear a little something from Bill Gates. To listen to the rest of this conversation, go to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list. On the upper left hand side, you can type in Moving Up the Ladder dash quotes from business leaders in the keyword search, and part two should pop up for you. Meanwhile, if you have any questions or suggestions, email us at ljanradio at localjobnetwork.com. Wishing you success in all your endeavors. I'm Tim Muma.